Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Welcome to Least of These, where I cover the cases that need it most, because every life matters and everyone deserves justice. I'm your host, Leah D. Today, I'll be covering the case of serial killer Willie Picton in Vancouver, Canada. Let's get right to it. Willie Picton is one of North America's most prolific serial killers. By his own admission, he claims to have murdered 49 women. Picton terrorized the downtown east side of Vancouver for decades. However, he's one of the least talked about. Why? Perhaps it's because Picton preyed on society's most marginalized, drug-addicted indigenous sex workers. Or maybe it's because what Willie Picton did to his victims was so horrific and gruesome, it seems more like a bad horror movie plot rather than a true crime story. But what this monster inflicted on his victims is very real. And his victims? Their lives mattered and their stories deserve to be told. And so does Willie's. Because a monster of this magnitude wasn't just born. It was created. Investigative reporter turned author Stevie Cameron has written extensively on the Picton case in two books. One titled On the Farm and the other The Picton File. I obtained the information about the early life of Willie Picton and his family for this episode from Cameron's books. She interviewed everybody there is to be interviewed in regards to Picton. And if you ask me, she's where it's at if you're looking for a book on the Picton case or any other case she's covered. In order to get a full picture of the monster that is Robert William Picton, we'll need to take it way on back to the 1940s. His parents, Louise and Leonard Picton, were married. His father, Leonard, had inherited his family farm after his siblings wanted pretty much nothing to do with it. Louise and Leonard named the farm L.F. Picton Ranch Poultry and Pigs. They settled down and started a family. 
1948, their daughter Linda was born, followed by Robert, who went by Willie in 1949, and then David, who everyone knew as Dave in 1950. Willie's birth was especially memorable and not in a good way. He had been born with the umbilical cord wrapped around his neck. As a child, Willie had difficulties in school and was in the special education program. His family had always wondered if he had suffered some kind of brain damage during his birth that caused his learning difficulties. Regardless, from a very young age, he was put to work on the farm. In fact, all of the children were. Their mother, Louise, ran the farm with an iron fist, and all of the children were expected to work hard. Life on the farm was grueling, and Louise couldn't have cared less about anything other than work getting done. According to accounts from neighbors and friends, Louise Picton was odd. She was short and stout with so much hair growing from her chin, she had developed a goatee and had a rather thick mustache. So much of the hair on her head had fallen out that she covered the remaining bits with a bandana. She was always wearing a cotton house dress with men's jeans underneath and thick rubber boots. And that screech. Her voice was unmistakable. A high-pitched screech that would pierce your ears. And boy, could she talk. She would go on and on and on, but was hard to understand because all of her teeth had rotted out. Hygiene of any sort wasn't a common practice in the Picton household. A housekeeper, she was not. Farm animals such as chickens, ducks, dogs, and even pigs and cows roamed freely in and out of the house, and Louise didn't bat an eye. Piles of shit left behind by the animals were all over the house, and nobody bothered to clean it up. According to a neighbor, the kitchen was so filthy you couldn't see the counter. The floors were covered with slop, shit, and dirt. Papers and food were strewn about everywhere. As far as furniture went, there really wasn't any. The living room only had a mattress on the floor. This neighbor didn't dare go into the other rooms. And while there may have been rotten food laying around the house, another neighbor recalled that all of the kitchen cupboards were locked, and Louise Picton was the only one in the household with a key. Leonard Picton didn't seem to care, and if he did, he sure didn't open his mouth. Louise ran the farm, and everybody knew it. Though old Leonard seemingly didn't have the balls to stand up to his wife, when it came to his children, he mercilessly abused them, especially Willie. Around town, it was rumored that at times Willie Picton would hide in the carcasses of pigs slaughtered at the farm when he thought people were angry at him. Louise would often get physically and mentally disabled kids from the nearby Woodland School to come and work on the farm. She would pay them pennies. And even as a teen, Willie would drive over and pick them up for work and then drop them back off at the end of the day. When he'd take them back for the night, he'd try to make it just after the hospital had served dinner so he could dumpster dive and bring the leftovers home to his mother. She would cut off the rotten parts 
and they'd all chow down. Willie would tell friends later that during these trips, mentally ill and disabled teenage girls from the Woodland School would flash him, and he said it always disturbed him. I did a little digging on the Woodland School and the things I found were horrific. According to eugenicsarchive.ca, it first opened in New Westminster as a provincial asylum in 1878, where according to the institution's own documents, it sought to treat the, quote, feeble-minded and lunatics. The name changed to Woodland School in 1950, and their focus shifted from adults and children and an old-school insane asylum towards becoming an educational facility for disabled children. But even after the name change, horrific abuse occurred. Residents of Woodlands were subject to abuse and sexual sterilization while they were institutionalized. And apparently, professionals at this institute were allowing Willie Picton to pick up young students and take them to work on a pig farm. Sounds legit. And the girls at the school flashing him wouldn't be the only childhood story Willie Picton would tell later to his friends or the many pen pals he acquired over the years. The stories Picton told were horrifying. He claimed one of his earliest memories was when he was just a toddler, two years old, and lived in what had been a chicken coop. He would have to lift a floorboard under his bed to get cold water from a spring that ran underneath. There was no other running water in the house, and he remembered it being that way for years. He recalled to a pen pal about an instance when he was three and had crashed his father's truck into a telephone pole, totaled it, and got the pure hell beaten out of him. The children were in charge of feeding and cleaning out the pens of over 200 pigs and a handful of cattle even coming home at lunch during school days to take care of the animals. Baths weren't a necessary thing, and sometimes weeks would go by without a bath. And even when they did bathe, the conditions of the house made it impossible to get the smell out. And a bath was the only option. There wasn't a shower in the home. Years later, Willie would reveal that he was terrified of showers anyway. In particular, he hated the water splashing in his face. So they only ever took baths, a.k.a. marinated in pig shit soup. Needless to say, the Picton kids reeked and were teased relentlessly by other children, especially in their neighborhood. You see, their nearest neighbors when the Pictons were young was Essendale Hospital. And by the 1950s, it was a huge medical complex with beautiful homes for senior doctors, engineers, and administrators who worked there. And since the Picton home was so close, Willie and his siblings shared a bus stop with the doctors and engineers' kids. It didn't help that Dave and Willie both suffered speech problems as kids. Dave couldn't pronounce his R's, and Willie wasn't very talkative. But when he did speak, he had a squeaky, high-pitched voice just like his mother and brother. You can imagine the level of bullying. One of the daughters of a doctor in the neighborhood recounted to Stevie Cameron just how brutal the bullying was, stating, 
We were all terrible to the Pictons, especially to Robert, a.k.a. Willie. I remember all of us on the road taunting him. We'd say to each other, just let us at him now and we'll make him talk. She went on to say, how were they different? Dirty and stinky. They always had their hair cut and a brush cut. Man, they stunk. Their house was a poor house with no yard and falling down fences. There were no big trees, only some shrubs. I don't even remember them at school at all, but I do remember them waiting for the school bus. Our bunch was mostly all doctor's kids. We were the best dressed and had the nicest houses. Almost everyone in the group is successful now. The best dressed, nicest houses, and almost everyone is successful now? Oh, the arrogance. Anyone else not shocked that this woman was a bully as a child? And it doesn't seem it's gotten much better. It's time to grow up, ma'am. Moving on. One would assume that the Pictons were poor due to the conditions they lived in. But you'd be wrong. They had money. They just chose not to spend it on things like home repairs and things that the children needed, except for Linda. When it came to her daughter, Louise frequently bought her new dresses and wanted her girl to experience birthday parties and Sunday school. The same was not true for Willie and Dave. They were given hand-me-downs and typically dressed in filthy rags. Despite all of this, Willie loved his mother very much, characterizing them as, quote, two peas and a pod. One story from childhood that traumatized Willie Picton, a story he would repeat over and over again, occurred when he was 12. Willie had saved up $35 and went with his parents to a livestock auction. There, he purchased a three-week-old black-and-white calf. He recounted this story to one of his pen pals, stating the calf was as pretty as the day is long. It was a nice calf, and I was going to keep the calf for the rest of my life. Willie took pride in caring for the calf, running home after school to feed it. It was one of the very few pleasures in his life at that time. One day, he came home from school and headed straight to the pen where the calf was kept. Only this time, it wasn't there. Frantic, he searched all over the farm. Willie further stated, I went everywhere looking for this here calf, and I couldn't find it anywheres. They says, oh, it must have got out. And I said, how can it get out the door? The door is locked. He continued to plead to his parents to help him find his calf. Annoyed, they told him he should check the barn. Willie took off and headed straight to investigate. He said, And here I seen the calf hanging upside down there. They butchered my calf on me. Oh boy, I was mad. I couldn't talk to anybody for three or four days. I locked everybody out of my own mind. I didn't want to talk to anybody. His mother, Louise, tried to give him an extra $20 for his calf, but he wasn't having none of that. He went on to say, like my mother says, that was a good dollar for the calf. You can go buy another. And I said, no, I was going to keep that calf for the rest of my life. And now it's gone. 
That really upset me, but that's what happens. That's life. I mean, we're only here for so long. When your time is over, your time is over. A chilling statement in hindsight with what we know now. What if you could test your blood in your own home, but just a drop? New Pod Disney Plus. This machine is going to change the world. The Dropout. In helt ny original serie. Anybody who doubts my company doubts me. Inspired and sent history. We have to stop her. You don't understand the business. And you don't understand the science. The Dropout. Stream all episodes now. Exclusive to Disney Plus. 79 kroner om måneden. Abonnement kræves. Vilkår gælder. When Willie and Dave were teenagers, they moved from the old farmhouse into a new one. Well, kind of. Their parents had purchased a new lot of land on the far east side of Port Coquitlam because the area they were living in was booming with a new highway and housing developments. They purchased 40 acres of land, the address, 993 Dominion Avenue. But they didn't buy a new house. Instead, the Penny Pension Pictons had their old farmhouse taken off its foundation and towed to the new property. It was the same stank, filthy old blue and white farmhouse, just in a new location. The land was cheap because it was swampy and actually had patches of quicksand on one side and a swampy lagoon towards the back. You couldn't get weeds to grow if you fertilized them. But the Pictons didn't care because they had no desire to grow crops. They just wanted to expand their pig and poultry operation. And they did just that, raising over 700 pigs and hundreds of chickens and slaughtering the animals all right there on the farm. 993 Dominion Avenue would go down in history as a house of horrors. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. Linda Picton took this opportunity to nope the hell out of there and moved in with relatives in Vancouver in a nice, comfortable neighborhood. She attended school and had very little contact with her parents and brothers. A neighbor recalled meeting Linda once, and she couldn't believe she even came from the same family. Linda was classy and just cut from a different cloth, according to her. And it seems... Linda dipped right in time. With the expansion of the operation, Willie and Dave would have to work even harder, feeding and caring for even more animals. In 1965, the Picton family would open yet another business, B&C Lockers, where they would store meat for their customers. Because back then, not too many people had freezers large enough to store a substantial amount of meat but it was common for people to order huge amounts, like half a cow or a pig, you know, whatever tickled their fancy, and had the butcher store it for them, and they would pick up the meat as needed. Louise Picton had a brilliant idea, so they purchased a small wooden building just down the road from their new farm, bought several large commercial freezers, and stored meat for their customers and some local farmers. Everyone in town referred to the place as the meat locker. At 14, Willie dropped out of school. According to his sister Linda, as she spoke with the Vancouver Suns, Kim Bolan, what happened was that he was at the Cracker Jack, a local shop, and bought a pen with a flippin' lady. 
When the pen was turned upside down, it was rude underneath. The principal said he was going to beat him, and Willie said, You do that, and I quit. The principal wasn't backing down, so Willie quit then and there, again, according to Linda. His mother didn't give a rat's ass because Willie would now have more time to work, and she really wanted him to learn how to slaughter the pigs, even though Willie himself wanted absolutely no part of it. But Louise didn't take no for an answer, and soon enough, his mother forced him to go watch a local butcher that slaughtered hogs for the Pictons so he could learn. Eventually, Louise convinced Willie to start an apprenticeship as a meat cutter. Willie had no friends, didn't date, and now all of his time was spent on the farm or at the butcher shop. His life was miserable, but it didn't seem his parents cared, especially his mother. There is one story that tells you pretty much all you need to know about Louise Picton, and it all has to do with Willie's brother, Dave. You see, Dave wasn't quite like Willie. He stayed in school, had friends, even girlfriends. But he was a troublemaker and had quite the reputation. But no worries, because Mommy Dearest would cover for him like nobody's business. At the time, Dave was 16 and had just gotten his driver's license. He would get away from the farm as often as he could. On October 17, 1967, he saw a window of opportunity and he took it, speeding off in a family work truck. At 7.30 p.m. when he was done with his shenanigans, he was headed back home and had almost made it. He was headed west down Dominion Avenue exactly the same time 14-year-old Timothy Barrett, who lived just around the corner on Burns Road, was walking back home on Dominion. Timothy was new to the area and had only been living there for about a year, since his father worked for the Royal Canadian Air Force. Little Tim had just left his best friend's house and was headed back home. He had walked down to see if his best friend could play. The friend couldn't come out to play, so he was just headed back. He was wearing slacks and a dark brown jacket and walking the same direction as the traffic as he strolled back home. It's unknown exactly what occurred next or whether or not Dave Picton was speeding or driving recklessly, but what we do know is that he struck Timothy Barrett with the truck from behind. He then stopped and seen Tim lying there on the side of the road. He took off, but not to go call 911 or seek medical attention, but to go home and tell his mother what had happened. When he arrived back at the farm, Louise and Leonard inspected the damage. The impact was severe enough to cause significant damage to the truck. The front right fender was dented with blood and other marks on the hood and the paint was screwed up in the spot Timothy's body had made impact. The turn signal was also damaged with wires dangling. And when he got back home, Leonard and Louise attempted to wipe the blood off the truck with a rag and instructed Dave to take the truck to their mechanic right away and have him bang out the front and paint over the scrapes. They even concocted the story Dave was to tell the mechanic. 
just tell him that we're building a tractor shed and one of the posts holding up the roof fell on the truck. So Dave did as he was told. The mechanic recalled that Dave was, quote, quite excited about getting the truck fixed, which did strike him as odd because, remember, this is the Pictons we're talking about. They lived in absolute squalor, and the truck in question had worse damage in other places. But Dave was so concerned about getting that turn signal fixed, that dent pulled out, and getting it painted. It just didn't make sense. The mechanic popped the dent out and fixed the light pretty quickly. Dave insisted he then paint over the spot, but the mechanic told him to forget about it. That truck was so beat up he wasn't going to waste his time. Meanwhile, while Dave was at the mechanic shop, his mother took a little trip of her own and rode out to the spot he had told her he hit the little boy. She located Tim pretty quickly, lying right there on the side of the road where Dave had told her he was hit. Louise Picton picked up 14-year-old Timothy Barrett, walked 10 feet to the edge of a swampy ditch just beyond the road, and rolled him into it. She got back into her vehicle, turned around, and went home like nothing had happened. By 11 o'clock p.m., Timothy's father was getting concerned. Tim wasn't home, so he called up the dad of the friend he knew his son was going to see. His heart sank. Not only was Tim not at his friend's house, they hadn't seen him for hours. His father stayed in contact with the friend's father and called the police. But through the night, there was no news on where Timothy Barrett was. At daybreak, the two dads met up and started walking, retracing Tim's steps, frantically looking for any clue as to where he could be. As they walked up Dominion Avenue, Tim's father spotted something on the side of the road. He rushed over and cried out, Oh my God, that's Tim's shoe. Tim's dad walked over to the ditch and there, lying motionless, was his 14-year-old son. His heart broke and he instantly collapsed. A cop car was just up the road also looking for little Tim. They were signaled over and an investigation was launched. The local news caught wind of the story pretty quickly, and at 10 that morning, the story of a boy being killed by a hit-and-run driver on Dominion Avenue was broadcast on the radio. Listening to that broadcast was the Picton family mechanic, and all of a sudden, he had a funny feeling. It all made sense now, why Dave was so eager to have the truck fixed and painted and why his story didn't match with the damage on the vehicle. Or did it? Either way, he called the Royal Canadian Mounted Police and reported the events of the previous night, stating, If it turned out to be nothing, okay. If it turned out to be fact, I'd save them some work. And it did, in fact, turn out to be something. Upon inspection of the vehicle by the RCMP, the officer agreed the damage to the vehicle didn't match a pole hitting the truck, and further, someone had rubbed mud on the outside passenger door. Underneath the mud, police found damage to the paint. The paint was compared to paint found on Tim Barrett's clothes, and ding ding, 
it was a match. The truck was inspected to look for mechanical issues, and none were found. It was in perfect working order, and further, the driving conditions were excellent that night, with almost perfect visibility. And all that was pretty damning. But we're just getting started. Dr. Cody, a pathologist at the Royal Columbian Hospital in New Westminster, performed an autopsy on Timothy Barrett. He would later testify that Tim had suffered serious injuries consistent with being hit by a truck, a fractured and dislocated pelvis, deep bruises, hemorrhaging in the back of his head and body, and a fractured skull with subcranial hemorrhage. But none of them were what caused his death. He survived being hit by the truck, and it's very likely none of those injuries would have killed him. What did kill him? He drowned. Timothy Barrett had drowned to death after Louise Picton rolled him off into that ditch that contained around two feet of disgusting swampy brown water. His watch had stopped at exactly 7.45 p.m., the time they believed he was rolled off into the water, and the time they believed he died. A child was dead for absolutely no reason. Any of the three of them could have called for help. Instead, Timothy was rolled into a ditch and left to die all alone on the side of the road. On October 20th, 1967, Timothy Barrett was laid to rest by his heartbroken parents, surrounded by family and friends. Dave Picton was only 16 at the time, so he was charged in juvenile court with failing to remain at the scene of an accident. He was found guilty on December 19th. His sentence? He was placed on indefinite probation and had his license revoked until he turned 21. The Barrett family suffered with the loss of their son for the rest of their lives. Dave Picton wouldn't be able to drive for four and a half years. Louise and Leonard? They would never be charged with anything. People around town talked in whispers behind the Pictons' backs. Everyone knew what she had done. She actually told one of her boy's friends what had happened and threatened him within an inch of his life if he ever opened his mouth to anyone. Willie Picton would also tell the full story to his best friend Lisa years later. He was well aware of what his mother had done. And if you thought what Louise Picton did was evil, well, hold on to your britches, because what her son did is the stuff nightmares are made of. Willie and his mother were, in fact, two peas in a pod. And with that, we're out of time for today. Be sure to join me next week for part two. There is so much to this story. I wouldn't want you to miss it. Stevie Cameron's book On the Farm, Robert William Picton, and the Tragic Story of Vancouver's Missing Women can be purchased on Amazon or pretty much wherever you get your books. It is wonderfully written and details absolutely every aspect of this case. I highly recommend it. I'll be sure to put a link in the show notes. 
As always, you can find more information on my Instagram at least underscore of these or my Facebook at least of these. New episodes drop every Thursday. Make sure you hit that subscribe button so you'll never miss an episode. Thank you for listening. Thank you for caring. If you know something, say something. And until next time, be good to each other.